Okay, what is going on, everybody? Welcome back to Saber Sims DFS Office Hours. It is Friday, July 1st of 2022. Happy July and happy 4th of July weekend to everybody out there. Uh, if this is your first time watching Office Hours, my name's Jordan. I'm the head coach here at Saber Sim, and this show is an open Q&A style show where I answer questions we get from the SaberSim community about how to use SaberSim to build better DFS lineups. So if you have questions you'd like me to answer here, uh, fire away at me live in YouTube chat. You can email us, support at sabersim.com, uh, or you can post questions in the Office Hours channel in Slack. There's a link to join the Slack community in the description of every past show. So uh, definitely get joined up there if you haven't already. We have a few questions in our queue here for today already about... Um, Ordering your lineups as they go into your contest, ranking your lineups as they go into your contest. We'll probably start there. I saw a question about uh, mitigating weather risk in your lineups um, and also one about making groups in MMA. So uh, we will start with those three here in just a moment. But as always, again, if you have questions for me, go ahead and get them in the queue now. Fire away at me. Uh, we'll answer questions in about the order that they came in. But uh, going to start with a good one from... Tim, uh, a, a constant question in the world of DFS. I think something that uh, all DFS players have always uh, agonized about at some point or the other. And uh, he said, how do I know which lineups to put into my single entry and three max contests? For example, last night, my top line in the mini max would have won all of those other contests. Uh, I'm sure this happens to a lot of people and there is no easy answer. Uh, but I'm just wondering if there is a way to improve the odds that my best lineup ends up in a single entry or three max. If only, Tim, uh, if if only there was a way to know um, we could all be making a lot more money here if we could put our, our lineups in the contest beforehand where they would be uh, the mathematically most profitable position. Uh, there isn't an easy answer here. There are a couple answers that I think can help. Um, there are things that can kind of help, I think, give you maybe squeeze out a few extra points of EV. Um, but it's it's always going to be, this is always kind of a, a constant challenge in DFS. Um, I mean, one thing to note here is that, you know, if you are playing, I don't know, if you are playing 200 entries, right, and you are playing 150 into the minimax and uh, 20, 40 into another set of 20 maxes, or a, a, another pair of 20 maxes, and then 10 additional lineups are played into single entry and three maxes, right? Well, 5% of your total lineups are entered into those single entry and three maxes. So just mathematically speaking, the odds that that best, that your best overall scoring lineup is going to end up in a single entry contest where likely the number one overall lineup in that contest is, is much lower than it is in the mini max is just low, right? Like you're, there's just the raw probabilities are just low that you're going to to kind of get everything that fits exactly where it should. Um, and in fact, I mean, the randomness about all of that means this is probably going to work out in your favor about as often as it's going to work out not in your favor, right? Uh, you know, you'll probably notice more often when you're like, you could look any night and be like, man, if this one lineup in the Minimax was in the chin music, I would have taken that contest down or something like that. Uh, but, you know, what you won't notice is when you have a con when you have a lineup that is you know, in the mini max might not even have cashed or what if it just had a middling performance, but because it ended up in the chin music, uh, it ended up finishing top 20 and you, you know, five extra six decks on that lineup. Right. So it does work out in your favor sometimes too. Uh, but a, a couple quick things about like ways that I think you can 
you know, improve your odds, I guess, uh, or, or ways that you can get a little, you can squeeze out a little bit more here. If you are building a big pool of lineups here on Saberson, um, so let's do this here. And, you know, maybe you're playing, maybe you're playing 200 and let's give ourselves a little bit of a bigger pool here to work with, right? One thing to note here is that Saber score is already intended to be a, a, quantification a quant is that a is that a word that fe that felt weird coming out of my mouth saber score is meant to quantify the upside of a lineup or the strength of a uh, of a lineup already right so if you fail if you want to you know at least do I, it almost feels like due diligence to me uh, I, I wouldn't say it's going to end up with like a very measurable difference filling by saber score with a unique rank fill method but i do think it can make you feel a little bit better about it putting your highest Sabre score lineups into the highest dollar contest that you're playing. Right. So then at least, you know, you know, if you had, if you had a great lineup in the mini max and it would have binked a $10 single entry, a $25 single entry, something like that. Well, it would have never ended up in that contest because it wasn't your top. It wasn't in your top 10 Sabre score lineups anyway. Right. Uh, so when you come in here and I don't have an entries file for tonight, I actually may, maybe I should have done gone back to yesterday here. Um, I think I actually, well, that's fine. I think I can still demonstrate the point, right? So we've got these lineups, right? And we can fill these here using the unique rank fill method once this cooperates with me such that, you know, let's say again, so you're playing 200 lineups, right? Such that lineup one, two, three, four, one through 10 are all going into those single entry contests. They are all the highest Sabre score lineups possible. Then your lineups, you know, 11 through, uh, what would that be? Uh, 51 in the case, if you had two 20 max contests, all go into the 20 max contests. And then the, the uh, quarter, I mean, excuse me, the mini max contests are your remaining 150, right? And then you know that at least based on Sabre score, which attempts to, to quantify the strength of the lineup by looking at ownership, uh, the projection and the correlation of those teams, you you put your best foot forward. And I think that's probably the best way to give you you the biggest chance of having your best actual scoring lineup in the single entry contests where the the uh, bink score would be the lowest and you have the greatest opportunity to, to kind of realize your, your edge there. Um, one thing to note, one thing to be careful of here, and to just show this point, I'm going to simplify our pool down to just the top 10 lineups. If you are going to make a lot of adjustments to exposures and things like that to your lineup pool, if you do that, you will, you will create, uh, your, your exposures will not be even throughout your entire pool. So let's say we're looking at this here, for example, and we say, we don't want to have, you know, a hundred percent Arizona and we change this to 50, right? If we look at what happens to the top 10 lineups here, so we have five Arizona stacks now, but in the first five lineups, one, two, three, four, and five, all five of our first lineups are Arizona stacks. Then lineups six, seven, eight, nine, and 10 are not Arizona stacks. So if you fill, if you make a lot of adjustments to your exposures and you fill using the unique rank fill method to put your highest Sabre score lineups first into your 
you know, highest dollar entry, entry limit contests, you should be aware that this can happen where you may have, you may only have 50% exposure to Arizona stacks over the course of your entire portfolio, but a hundred percent of the first 20 lineups in your pool are all Arizona stacks. So be aware of that. So there's a little bit of a trade-off there. You know, when you fill with unique random, you are letting randomness decide what lineup goes into what contest. And there's kind of a, you know, something that you have to accept with that. If you are filling with unique rank, you have to understand that your exposures to any one player may not be evenly distributed throughout all of your contests, and you have to accept that. So there's a bit of a trade-off on either side, but hopefully that kind of helps. Um, let me know if there's any follow-up questions there. Um, and let's move on here. Let's first, I want to hit this question from Average Tuesday. I think this is a really interesting one here. So um, this is actually something I used to do a lot. Um and the question says, when thinking about weather risk and wanting to ensure teams in risky games are either full stacked or nothing, uh, is there a quick way to ensure uh, there aren't one-offs from risky games sprinkled throughout the other lineups after removing those teams from the mini stacks? So yeah, so talking about you know weather mitigation uh, in your lineups, basically here. Uh, and the theory behind this, I think this is a pretty cool idea, right? Is that you know the when when a game has weather risk, uh, the Creating lineups that only stack those teams, only using stacks of those teams, basically allows you to still take advantage of the uh, the high upside outcome when that game plays and a five stack of a team playing in that game is optimal without letting the downside of that game pollute other lineups, right? Um, so I know there are some... I know there are quite a few weather games here today. So for example, I think... Let's see. Okay, so KC and Detroit, and it looks like New York and Cleveland. So we'll use KC and Detroit. That looks like the riskiest game here. So um, KC and Detroit. So we have some KC lineups here in our, we have some some KC lineups in our pool here, right? So basically the idea here, um, and I, I just think it's an interesting thing to talk about. So I'll kind of explain the way I think about this first, because I, I used to do a lot of this as well, is that, you know, KC has some, there's still upside in this game. Right. And you still want to take advantage of a situation where the game plays and look like, okay, so this is a perfect example. It's a KC Detroit game stack, right? Like if this game goes off, right? If this, it doesn't matter if this game doesn't play for this lineup in particular, because it's, it's as if there's no difference between this game, not playing and this lineup just not being, and this game, not just, and just not going off, excuse me. And this game just not going off right? From a payout standpoint, this game getting postponed after lock and not being able to do anything about it is exactly the same as this game having a final score of four to two, right? Doesn't matter. But what you don't really want to do or what you maybe want to avoid sometimes is a situation where maybe you just play a Bobby Witt Jr. one-off where there's probably some other player that's very closely projected to Bobby Witt. He has a very similar upside and, but Bobby Witt has this significant additional downside risk that you just don't need to take on. So the question is, how do you only full stack the teams in weather games and avoid one-offs and mini stacks throwing off your mojo, right? So what I would do is first, and I think Average Tuesday already mentioned that he did this. So first figure out what games you want to look at. So, you know, maybe it's, let's just for now, since there's so many weather games on tonight's slate, let's just focus just on the KC and Detroit game. So what I would do is I would go through and I would look for the little stacks of that game and make sure you eliminate any three stacks or two stacks or any any versions of that game that are not the full stacked version. So there's Detroit three stack. Let's eliminate that. Okay. Give that a second to update. Casey and Detroit looks good. 
Now we have a two stack of Detroit. Let's get them out of there as well. Okay. And cool. Looks good. Okay. But now the problem is, is how, how can we find our one-offs, right? What are there any one-offs that are interfering here? Right? So what I would do now instead is I would look for basically, I'm going to go here and I'm going to say, show me all lineups that don't have a Detroit three stack that don't have a KC three stack uh, and that don't have a Detroit two stack and that don't have a KC two stack. And, oh, and actually, actually, wait, 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 no, this is easier. I can, I'm, as I'm talking through this, there's an easier way to do this. We can just do this as the stacks in general. So let's get rid of these. So basically I would say, so this filter is showing you every lineup that doesn't have that, that magnifying glass with the negative sign. So we can say, um, show me all lineups that don't have a KC stack at all. Show me all lineups that don't have a Detroit stack at all and check to see if you have any exposure to these teams. So we have no Detroit and no KC. So that looks good. But hypothetically, you know, let's say we, we said, show me all lineups that don't have a stack of either of these two teams. And we had 5% exposure to Bobby Witt amongst these. That would mean we have a Bobby Witt one-off somewhere. And we could go find that lineup. We could filter by Bobby Witt, find that lineup and eliminate from, from our pool. So does that make sense? So you can basically, you can use these filters to basically show you all all lineups that do not have a stack of the team in question here and check to see if you have any one-off exposure anywhere else and then manually eliminate those teams from your pool. For what it's worth, I used to do something very similar to this and I found it really time-consuming. And I think, you know, I don't know, I don't know how much value it adds compared to just eliminating the game, right? If the game is an elite hitting environment, I think it makes some sense. Um, but that is a... That is a, a different question. So, um, but that is how I would go about doing that. All right. Cool. Um, good question here from Eagles. Let's talk about this one here. Um, and uh, he said, do you make groups for your fighters in MMA contests? I think this is an interesting idea, especially combined with um, what Max was talking about when he was on this stream the other day. So um, we had Max on on Tuesday. Um, let's see. It's up here in our office hours playlist. Yeah. So Max came on here uh, on Tuesday and talked a little bit about what he's been doing uh, for his MMA process recently, um, mostly as it relates to, you know, finding combinations of players that might be pretty popular together, um, looking for lineups that have a combination of a very high salary and a very high total ownership sum and eliminating them to avoid duplication. Um, I don't really... I'll answer this question this way. I haven't been making groups in MMA because a lot of what I do in my process is I will adjust player projections down to kind of additionally adjust for ownership, right? So I will adjust a player down or or up if I think that they're, they that adjustment to their projection will help make me get more unique lineups overall in my portfolio. But I do think it's an interesting idea to, you know, I think it can be an interesting idea or, or a different way of doing this to figure out what are going to be the most popular lineup pairings in the, the slate that particular week and make groups to avoid those combinations of players together, right? 13 fight card here, 26 overall fighters. There's, there's going to be a lot of duplication, even on somewhat of a bigger card like this. Um, so 
I think here's how I would think about going, going down that route is first is I would want to get an idea of like, what are the easiest lineup constructions to make, right? Um, let's just look at like the top 500 cash lineups, even just with Saberson projections and see what, what kind of combinations are over or are, are most commonly included together. Um, what are, what are the combinations of fighters that are going to be, you know, over more paired more often together than their raw probability would indicate. Um, and actually, you know what? So let's turn off, allow opposing fighters because we want to, we want to mimic, I think what people are actually going to do in GPPs. And I don't think most people are going to, to fight stack in GPPs. So let's turn that off and rebuild here. Okay, so, and let's start kind of taking a look at this lineup. So, I mean, so Barbarina, right, looks to be like one of those elite value plays here. Let's add the win odds as well so we can see this. Right, okay. So probably overall, kind of like the preferred value play going showing up in almost every single cash game lineup we have in the first 500 here. Right. Um, and then we've got what O'Malley, Holloway, Duplessis, um, Volkanovsky, right. You can kind of get an idea of what these constructions start to look like here and going over here, right. You can even use these filters to get an idea of how do, how do fighters get paired together, right. Assuming you take Holloway, what are the most common pairings? What are the easiest pairings to make Barbarina and O'Malley, right. And then let's go look here. Let's go look at the other side of that fight and ask on Volkanovsky, right? If, if you Volkanovsky wins, what are the most common pairings here? Barbarina, uh, Duplessis here. And I think you could kind of start taking some notes here and figure out, you know, pairings that you maybe want to avoid, right? These pairings, because of the salary and the projections and things like that, they're, they are too easy to combine together, right? Um, and I think you could kind of start to come up with a little bit of a group here where maybe you're saying, you know, of uh, this, maybe even just this like first, depending on the size of your contest, maybe of just this group of like these first five fighters here, obviously in a GPP, you're probably not playing Holloway and Volkanovsky together anyway. So it's really like one or the other of these guys. And then maybe just one additional one of these guys of these other additional kind of chalky plays. So you could come over and then make a group and basically say, Right. These are also probably the highest owned guys, right? Yeah. So. And take something like this and say max two. Oops. And then when you're building your GPP lineups. You're going to naturally like just basically throw out all of those lineups. It's I think it's I think it's at least a starting point. I would still, you know, recommend combing through your lineups and doing a little bit more beyond this. But I do think this is pretty interesting as a starting point of just figuring out like, what is the easiest, most cash friendly lineup construction that most people are going to do? And let's just eliminate all of those lineups right out of the gate. And maybe, maybe that's it in this case, maybe it's some combination. It's like some kind of three piece, three or four of those fighters that we were just looking at, right? Too easy to make uh, on their own, right? And now we can go ahead and look here. And it's going to force some like lower owned con constructions in here, right? And when we look at a guy like Holloway, um, right, we are pairing him in a way that is probably not very common compared to what, what the field's going to do. So 
That said, um, I haven't really actually explored doing this that much in my personal process. Again, you know, I mentioned when, when we started this year, what I typically end up doing is I start building that. I build that big research build to start that in, in the case of MMA at 0010, 1500 lineups, get familiar with the, the leverage opportunities, the ownership inefficiencies on that card across the board. And then I will make a ton of adjustments to player projections if I think they're going to be higher or lower owned, which generally pushes the in, me in the direction of being more unique anyway. But I think this would be a good opportunity, you know, if you weren't doing research builds or if you just want a kind of a quicker way to just eliminate a really popular construction uh, from your pool, I think it's an interesting idea for sure. So yeah, I like it. Um, cool. Okay. Um, and then a question from, uh, you, four in Slack here, uh, about tennis, um, it says for tennis, do you still run a research build, uh, zero, zero, 10 to see who it shows the most like you do in MLB? Uh, yeah. I probably would. Um, I haven't had a chance to like really dive into tennis as much this week as I as I wanted to. Um, I've played a few slates. I have experimented with some of the research builds here um, just to see where um, you know there are some inefficiencies. I, I will say, so let's let's like run one together and just take a quick look and see like for today what we're getting. So one thing, so I put a video out on YouTube yesterday called How to Beat Tennis DFS. And one of the things I talked about in that video are Vegas money lines. And one of the, the notes I made is that, you know, most tennis projection models, SaberSim included for the time being, are using Vegas money lines as a primary input and basically treating it as gospel and saying this is the true win probability of a particular player particular match, right? And what that means is actually, I think a lot of industry projections around the industry here uh, are going to be pretty similar. So because of that, I think running a research build for tennis, you're going to see probably smaller leverage opportunities than you might in other sports. In other words, our, our ownership projections are going to kind of assume that our ownership projections and our our optimal rates are all going to be kind of efficient because everybody's kind of treating the Vegas money lines as, as gospel, right? As fact. And there's still a huge edge to, to be made, to be, to be had building lineups with SaberSim for tennis DFS, because basically what we have that, you know, other tools out there don't have is this, right. And understanding that for a player who's average projection is 43.4, the ranges of outcomes actually look like this and pulling these outcomes in dynamically, right? That's still very valuable, but I think it's harder to find ownership inefficiencies if both the ownership and the Sims assume that the Vegas money line is right. So with that said, I think it's still interesting as a way to understand the slate and get familiar, but I think, I, I think the better value at the moment is to actually spend some time researching the matches on that particular slate and see if you can find any reason to believe that there's an inefficient or a bad money line out there for Vegas. And I mean, for Wimbledon, you know, the markets are going to be much more liquid. There's going to be a lot more uh, movement. And I think the lines are going to be sharper. But as we move along and start talking about tennis DFS for some smaller events and things like that, that's it's not really going to be as much the case. And I think there are going to be situations where you can actually add value with your own research, right? Like if we're looking at this, you know, it may be true that 
like if hang on let me let me give an example here so if Djokovic's win probability is truly 95% and you know based on his salary and everything else then you know he is his optimal rate is 35% in DFS lineups and his ownership is 35% in DFS lineups and therefore it's it's efficient ownership there's not really any way to to get an edge it's 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 a prop it's approximately optimal to roster him in 35% of your lineups but if this number is actually 0.9 and everybody thinks it's 0.95 that's an opportunity. Then, then all of a sudden, both of these, then, then all of a sudden, both of these numbers are wrong, right? And the true value is twenty-eight percent or twenty-five percent or whatever it would end up being. So, I think the theory of a research build still works absolutely for tennis, but I think because of kind of the way that the industry works for this particular sport and how heavily those money lines are featured in every projection model out there, I think your best opportunity to add a little bit of value is to research the slate. Uh, and see if you can find a reason to believe that a particular player is getting under or or, or, or overvalued based on your research. Um, so, and I gave an example in that video too from yesterday's slate um, where I thought, uh, and I, I actually didn't even follow up to see what happened in this match, but I thought that that Golovic was undervalued against Krichkova, um, based on their their history of playing on grass and how the first round had gone and things like that. And, and I'm I'm still familiarizing myself with tennis DFS overall, but there's a lot of different you know ways to to go out there and research um, these these matches and and find an opportunity to to make um some adjustments. So, but good question. Cool. Uh, jumping over to YouTube chat here. Uh, Jimmy said for the single entry and three max contest, I would usually submit the one to two highest saber sim lineups from my or saber score lineups from my pool. Uh, and then the one to two with the highest leverage, because if that hits, oh boy. Yeah, I think that's a great approach as well. Um, you know, the, the main thing, like if you can give yourself a reason, if this is a mental thing, this is not this is not a mathematical thing, but if you can give yourself a reason to say, I played these lineups into my single entry because of this, you will alleviate some stress uh, when those lineups are not your highest scoring lineups, because then at least you can kind of fall back and say, no, I mean, I, I made that choice or, or my process leads me to putting those lineups into that contest. Um, or you just, you know, let the DFS gods take over and, and embrace the unique random, which is what, I, which is what I've started doing. Um, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but I, I think it's, it's pretty random anyway. So, um, and then guy will gamble said also, I believe postponed players can usually be swapped if the game didn't start. Uh, so I wouldn't worry about it now either. Uh, the exception there would be if that, if that game status is not decided by the time the lock of that game comes around. So like tonight, if. You know, if um, let's pull this back up. If KC and Detroit, right? We'll just keep using that example, right? So it's five ten game my time here, right? So maybe that game starts in a rain delay, right? Well, if that if if five ten comes goes by and that game is in a rain delay, all of those players will lock, and if it later postpones during the delay or after the delay, there's no opportunity to get them out. So there are situations sometimes where like. Um, you know, I know if, if the game hasn't locked yet, so like, let's say, what's the other game with the rain, with rain concerns tonight? Um, are there any later games? Um, 
I don't know. Let's say, let's just say hypothetically, for example, that, um, you know, Baltimore and, and Minnesota had rain concerns as well, which, which I don't know if it does. I don't, I don't think it does. Um, and this game postpones like right at lock or something like that. Often what DraftKings will do is push the, the unofficial start time of that game in the app back all the way to whatever the last locking game of the night is. Um, but I don't think it's reliable that you can get out. I wouldn't, I wouldn't play every weather game just because you're assuming necessarily that you can get out of any weather situations if they come up because there's not always, um, a good opportunity. So, um, and then six said, uh, I'm certain I missed it, but any quick twi- tips or a summary of how to use Saberson for MMA aside from just running and trusting the Sims? Um, actually, you know, six, what I would recommend, I would check out two resources here. So, uh, on Tuesday, Max came onto this stream here and broke down his actual MMA process that he's been using this season. Um, and that is up on our YouTube channel here on the catch up on the latest office hours, live streams. Um, he breaks down, you know, how he goes through, he basically, you know, in summary, he kind of looks through each individual lineup and compares, uh, the total lineup ownership and the total salary to look for situations where there's maybe a few lineups that might be very heavily duplicated. Um, and, uh, I also would recommend, um, checking out this video here, uh, with Will. Crush MMA DFS with the power of Sims. Um, this came out right after we published our simulations here. This is a much longer video, and this goes pretty into detail on what goes into our simulations and also had that how to add some value. So I check out those, those resources. I think if I can summarize uh, MMA overall, I would say some of the highest value work that you can do within SaberSim is finding lineups that are likely to be duplicated and remove them from your pool. Or finding lineups, more specifically, finding lineups that are more likely to be duplicated than their chance of that lineup being the optimal and removing those from your pool. Uh, SaberSim, you know, what SaberSim does a very good job of handling for you is an under is understanding the ranges of outcomes of each fighter and building you lineups that have an, an upside condition that are likely to be optimal. Uh, that the value add is identifying which of those lineups the field is also very likely to spot. So, all right. Um, HC said, would you use unique random to fill a single entry or MME for cash games? And is a default of 500, a good number for cash game builds. So for cash games, I'm more focused. I would be more focused on just trying to identify the highest, the, the optimal um, the highest, the highest average projected lineup possible is what I would be looking to, to do. And I would play the same cash game lineup into all of my cash game contests, right? The main reason why in a GPP, you play a lot of different lineups and you diversify for a couple reasons. Uh, one is because it is, it is difficult to quantify expected value. It's difficult to quantify what the actual best lineup is for a GPP. So by spreading out and diversifying, you in some ways give yourself an opportunity to hedge and to to kind of to place more bets, right? Um, but you also you you also are trying to just diversify um, amongst like different outcomes, different different conditions of the slate. In cash games, it's very easy to identify what the best overall lineup is, or like within a one v one or a two v two of a couple of players, what overall the best lineup is. And your diversification, your risk tolerance comes in the form of playing different opponents. So you spread out and play more, uh, you play a wider variety of opponents in your head to heads and things like that, which allows you to diversify and kind of manage your risk a little bit there. So for me, 
like playing cash games, my goal would basically just be, I would build just a single lineup. I probably don't even care how big the pool size is. I would probably be more focused on like, I might look at the top five optimals just to see and pool size, you know, could be, I don't know, 20 is probably plenty. 20 is plenty. And then I'm identifying, you know, what lineup I actually want to take with me into my contests. But, and and the other thing I should have mentioned, right? There is, uh, I actually, I this is an important point. Part of the other reason why I recommend playing a single lineup in cash games, but multiple lineups in GPPs is that there is a greater, there are a lot of lineups that are very close together in their expected value in GPP world, right? There are probably at least hundreds, probably thousands of good GPP lineups that all have very similar expected value to one another. In cash games, that the, the quality of a lineup falls off a cliff much quicker. Each projected point Okay, what is going on, everybody? Welcome back to Saber Sims DFS Office Hours. It is Friday, July 1st of 2022. Happy July and happy 4th of July weekend to everybody out there. Uh, if this is your first time watching Office Hours, my name's Jordan. I'm the head coach here at Saber Sim, and this show is an open Q&A style show where I answer questions we get from the SaberSim community about how to use SaberSim to build better DFS lineups. So if you have questions you'd like me to answer here, uh, fire away at me live in YouTube chat. You can email us, support at sabersim.com, uh, or you can post questions in the Office Hours channel in Slack. There's a link to join the Slack community in the description of every past show. So uh, definitely get joined up there if you haven't already. We have a few questions in our queue here for today already about... Um, Ordering your lineups as they go into your contest, ranking your lineups as they go into your contest. We'll probably start there. I saw a question about uh, mitigating weather risk in your lineups um, and also one about making groups in MMA. So uh, we will start with those three here in just a moment. But as always, again, if you have questions for me, go ahead and get them in the queue now. Fire away at me. Uh, we'll answer questions in about the order that they came in. But uh, going to start with a good one from... Tim, uh, a, a constant question in the world of DFS. I think something that uh, all DFS players have always uh, agonized about at some point or the other. And uh, he said, how do I know which lineups to put into my single entry and three max contests? For example, last night, my top line in the mini max would have won all of those other contests. Uh, I'm sure this happens to a lot of people and there is no easy answer. Uh, but I'm just wondering if there is a way to improve the odds that my best lineup ends up in a single entry or three max. If only, Tim, uh, if if only there was a way to know um, we could all be making a lot more money here if we could put our, our lineups in the contest beforehand where they would be uh, the mathematically most profitable position. Uh, there isn't an easy answer here. There are a couple answers that I think can help. Um, there are things that can kind of help, I think, give you maybe squeeze out a few extra points of EV. Um, but it's it's always going to be, this is always kind of a, a constant challenge in DFS. Um, I mean, one thing to note here is that, you know, if you are playing, I don't know, if you are playing 200 entries, right, and you are playing 150 into the minimax and uh, 20, 40 into another set of 20 maxes, or a, a, another pair of 20 maxes, and then 10 additional lineups are played into single entry and three maxes. 
right? Well, 5% of your total lineups are entered into those single entry and three maxes. So just mathematically speaking, the odds that that best, that your best overall scoring lineup is going to end up in a single entry contest where likely the number one overall lineup in that contest is, is much lower than it is in the mini max is just low, right? Like you're, there's just the raw probabilities are just low that you're going to, to kind of get everything that fits exactly where it should. Um, and in fact, I mean, the randomness about all of that means this is probably going to work out in your favor about as often as it's going to work out not in your favor, right? Uh, you know, you'll probably notice more often when you're like, you could look any night and be like, man, if this one lineup in the minimax was in the chin music, I would have taken that contest down or something like that. Uh, but you know, what you won't notice is when you have a con when you have a lineup that is, you know, in the minimax might not even have cashed or would have just had a middling performance, but because it ended up in the chin music, uh, it ended up finishing top 20 and you, you know, five extra six text on that lineup. Right. So it does work out in your favor sometimes too. Uh, but a, a couple quick things about like ways that I think you can, you know, improve your odds, I guess, uh, or, or ways that you can get a little, you can squeeze out a little bit more here. If you are building a big pool of lineups here on Saversim. Um, so let's do this here. And, you know, maybe you're playing, maybe you're playing 200 and let's give ourselves a little bit of a bigger pool here to work with. Right. One thing to note here is that Sabre score is already intended to be a, a quantification, a quant, is that a, is that a word that, fe that felt weird coming out of my mouth? Sabre score is meant to quantify the upside of a lineup or the strength of a, uh, of a lineup already. Right. So if you fill, if you want to, you know, at least do I, it almost feels like due diligence to me. Uh, I, I wouldn't say it's going to end up with like a very measurable difference filling by Saber score with a unique rank fill method, but I do think it can make you feel a little bit better about it. Putting your highest Saber score lineups into the highest dollar contest that you're playing, right? So then at least you know, you know, if you had if you had a great lineup in the minimax and it would have binked a $10 single entry, a $25 single entry, something like that. Well, it would have never ended up in that contest because it wasn't your top, it wasn't in your top 10 Saber score lineups anyway, right? Uh, so when you come in here, and I don't have an entries file for tonight, I actually may, maybe I should have done gone back to yesterday here. Um, I think I actually, well, that's fine. I think I can still demonstrate the point, right? So we've got these lineups, right? And we can fill these here using the unique rank fill method once this cooperates with me such that, you know, let's say again, so you're playing 200 lineups, right? Such that lineup one, two, three, four, one through 10 are all going into those single entry contests. They are all the highest Saber score lineups possible. Then your lineups, you know, 11 through, uh, what would that be? Uh, 51 in the case if you had two 20 max contests all go into the 20 max contests and then the the uh quarter i mean excuse me the mini max contests are your remaining 150 right and then you know that at least based on saber score which attempts to to quantify the strength of the lineup by looking at ownership uh the projection and the correlation of those teams you you put your best foot forward and i think that's probably the best way to give you you the biggest chance of having your best actual scoring lineup in the single entry contests where the the uh bink score would be the lowest and you have the greatest opportunity to to kind of realize your your edge there. Um one thing to note, one thing to be careful of here and to just show this point, I'm going to simplify our pool down to just the top 10 lineups. If you are going to 
make a lot of adjustments to exposures and things like that to your lineup pool. If you do that, you will you will create uh, your your exposures will not be even throughout your entire pool. So let's say we're looking at this here, for example, and we say we don't want to have you know a hundred percent Arizona, and we change this to fifty, right? If we look at what happens to the top ten lineups here. So we have five Arizona stacks now, but in the first five lineups, one, two, three, four, and five, all five of our first lineups are Arizona stacks. Then lineups six, seven, eight, nine, and 10 are not Arizona stacks. So if you fill, if you make a lot of adjustments to your exposures and you fill using the unique rank fill method to put your highest saver score lineups first into your you know, highest dollar entry entry limit contests, you should be aware that this can happen where you may have, you may only have 50% exposure to Arizona stacks over the course of your entire portfolio, but 100% of the first 20 lineups in your pool are all Arizona stacks. So be aware of that. So there's a little bit of a trade-off there. You know, when you fill with unique random, you are letting randomness decide what lineup goes into what contest. And there's kind of a, you know, something that you have to accept with that. If you are filling with unique rank, you have to understand that your exposures to any one player may not be evenly distributed throughout all of your contests, and you have to accept that. So there's a bit of a trade-off on either side, but hopefully that kind of helps. Um, let me know if there's any follow-up questions there. Um, and let's move on here. Let's first, I want to hit this question from Average Tuesday. I think this is a really interesting one here. So um, this is actually something I used to do a lot. Um and the question says, when thinking about weather risk and wanting to ensure teams in risky games are either full stacked or nothing, uh, is there a quick way to ensure uh, there aren't one-offs from risky games sprinkled throughout the other lineups after removing those teams from the mini stacks? So yeah, so talking about you know weather mitigation uh, in your lineups, basically here. Uh, and the theory behind this, I think this is a pretty cool idea, right? Is that you know the when when a game has weather risk, uh, the Creating lineups that only stack those teams, only using stacks of those teams, basically allows you to still take advantage of the uh, the high upside outcome when that game plays and a five stack of a team playing in that game is optimal without letting the downside of that game pollute other lineups, right? Um, so I know there are some... I know there are quite a few weather games here today. So for example, I think... Let's see. Okay, so KC and Detroit, and it looks like New York and Cleveland. So we'll use KC and Detroit. That looks like the riskiest game here. So um, KC and Detroit. So we have some KC lineups here in our, we have some some KC lineups in our pool here, right? So basically the idea here, um, and I, I just think it's an interesting thing to talk about. So I'll kind of explain the way I think about this first, because I, I used to do a lot of this as well, is that, you know, KC has some, there's still upside in this game. Right. And you still want to take advantage of a situation where the game plays and look like, okay, so this is a perfect example. It's a KC Detroit game stack, right? Like if this game goes off, right? If this, it doesn't matter if this game doesn't play for this lineup in particular, because it's, it's as if there's no difference between this game not playing and this lineup just not being, and this game not just, and just not going off, excuse me, and this game just not going off. Right from a payout standpoint, this game getting postponed after lock and not being able to do anything about it is exactly the same as this game having a final score of four to two. Right, doesn't matter. But what you don't really want to do, or what you maybe want to avoid sometimes, is a situation where maybe you just play a 
Bobby Witt Jr. one-off, where there's probably some other player that's very closely projected to Bobby Witt. He has a very similar upside, and but Bobby Witt has this significant additional downside risk that you just don't need to take on. So the question is, how do you only full stack the teams in weather games and avoid one-offs and mini stacks throwing off your mojo, right? So what I would do is first, and I think Average Tuesday already mentioned that he did this. So first figure out what games you want to look at. So, you know, maybe it's, let's just for now, since there's so many weather games on tonight's slate, let's just focus just on the KC and Detroit game. So what I would do is I would go through and I would look for the little stacks of that game and make sure you eliminate any three stacks or two stacks or any any versions of that game that are not the full stacked version. So there's Detroit three stack. Let's eliminate that. Okay. Give that a second to update. Casey and Detroit looks good. Now we have a two stack of Detroit. Let's get them out of there as well. Okay. And cool. Looks good. Okay. But now the problem is, is how, how can we find our one-offs, right? What Are there any one-offs that are interfering here, right? So what I would do now instead is I would look for... Basically, I'm going to go here and I'm going to say, show me all lineups that don't have a Detroit three stack, that don't have a KC three stack, uh, and that don't have a Detroit two stack, and that don't have a KC two stack. And, oh, and actually, actually, wait, wait, wait. No, this is easier. I can, as I'm talking through this, there's an easier way to do this. We can just do this as the stacks in general. So let's get rid of these. So basically I would say, so this filter is showing you every lineup that doesn't have that, that magnifying glass with the negative sign. So we can say, um, show me all lineups that don't have a KC stack at all. Show me all lineups that don't have a Detroit stack at all and check to see if you have any exposure to these teams. So we have no Detroit and no KC. So that looks good. But hypothetically, you know, let's say we we said, show me all lineups that don't have a stack of either of these two teams, and we had 5% exposure to Bobby Witt amongst these. That would mean we have a Bobby Witt one-off somewhere, and we could go find that lineup. We could filter by Bobby Witt, find that lineup, and eliminate from, from our pool. So does that make sense? So you can basically, you can use these filters to basically show you all, all lineups that do not have a stack of the team in question here and check to see if you have any one-off exposure anywhere else, and then manually eliminate those teams from your pool. For what it's worth... I used to do something very similar to this and I found it really time consuming. And I think, you know, I don't know, I don't know how much value it adds compared to just eliminating the game, right? If the game is an elite hitting environment, I think it makes some sense. Um, but that is a, that is a, a different question. So, um, but that is how I would go about doing that. All right. Cool. Um, good question here from Eagles. Let's talk about this one here. Um, and uh, he said, do you make groups for your fighters in MMA contests? I think this is an interesting idea, especially combined with um, what Max was talking about when he was on this stream the other day. So um, we had Max on on Tuesday. Um, let's see. It's up here. 
in our office hours playlist. Yeah. So Max came on here uh, on Tuesday and talked a little bit about what he's been doing uh, for his MMA process recently, um, mostly as it relates to, you know, finding combinations of players that might be pretty popular together, um, looking for lineups that have a combination of a very high salary and a very high total ownership sum and eliminating them to avoid duplication. Um, I don't really... I'll answer this question this way. I haven't been making groups in MMA because a lot of what I do in my process is I will adjust player projections down to kind of additionally adjust for ownership, right? So I will adjust a player down or or up if I think that they're, they that adjustment to their projection will help make me get more unique lineups overall in my portfolio. But I do think it's an interesting idea to, you know, I think it can be an interesting idea or, or a different way of doing this to figure out what are going to be the most popular lineup pairings in the the slate that particular week and make groups to avoid those combinations of players together, right? 13 fight card here, 26 overall fighters. There's, there's going to be a lot of duplication even on somewhat of a bigger card like this. Um, so I think here's how I would think about going, going down that route is first is I would want to get an idea of like, what are the easiest lineup constructions to make, right? Um, let's just look at like the top 500 cash lineups, even just with Saberson projections and see what, what kind of combinations are over or are, are most commonly included together. Um, what are, what are the combinations of fighters that are going to be, you know, over more paired more often together than their raw probability would indicate. Um, and actually, you know what? So let's turn off allow opposing fighters because we want to we want to mimic i think what people are actually going to do in gpps and i don't think most people are going to to fight stack in gpps so let's turn that off and rebuild here okay so and let's start kind of taking a look at this lineup so i mean so barbarina right looks to be like one of those elite value plays here let's add the win odds as well so we can see this Right. Okay. So probably overall kind of like the preferred value play going showing up in almost every single cash game lineup we have in the first 500 here. Right. Um, and then we've got what O'Malley, Holloway, Duplessis, um, Volkanovsky, right. You can kind of get an idea of what these constructions start to look like here and going over here, Right. You can even use these filters to get an idea of how do how do fighters get paired together? Right. Assuming you take Holloway, what are the most common pairings? What are the easiest pairings to make? Barbarina and O'Malley. Right. And then let's go look here. Let's go look at the other side of that fight and ask on Volkanovsky. Right. If, if you Volkanovsky wins, what are the most common pairings here? Barbarina, uh, Duplessis here. And I think you could kind of start taking some notes here and figure out, you know, pairings that you maybe want to avoid, right? These pairings, because of the salary and the projections and things like that, they're, they are too easy to combine together, right? Um, and I think you could kind of start to come up with a little bit of a group here where maybe you're saying, you know, of uh, this, maybe even just this like first, depending on the size of your contest, maybe of just this group of like these first five fighters here, obviously in a GPP, you're probably not playing Holloway and Volkanovsky together anyway. So it's really like one or the other of these guys. And then maybe just one additional one of these guys of these other additional kind of chalky plays. So you could come over and then make a group and basically say, right. These are also probably the highest owned guys, right? Yeah. So 
and take something like this and say max two. Oops. And then when you're building your GBP lineups, you're going to naturally like just basically throw out all of those lineups. It's I think it's I think it's at least a starting point. I would still, you know, recommend combing through your lineups and doing a little bit more beyond this. But I do think this is pretty interesting as a starting point of just figuring out like what is the easiest, most cash-friendly lineup construction that most people are going to do. And let's just eliminate all of those lineups right out of the gate. And maybe maybe that's it in this case. Maybe it's some combination. It's like some kind of three-piece, three or four of those fighters that we were just looking at, right? Too easy to make uh, on their own, right? And now we can go ahead and look here. And it's going to force some like lower owned con constructions in here, right? And when we look at a guy like Holloway, um, right, we are pairing him in a way that is probably not very common compared to what, what the field's going to do. So that said, um, I haven't really actually explored doing this that much in my personal process. Again, you know, I mentioned when, when we started this year, what I typically end up doing is I start building that. I build that big research build to start that in, in the case of MMA at 0010, 1500 lineups, get familiar with the, the leverage opportunities, the ownership inefficiencies on that card across the board. And then I will make a ton of adjustments to player projections if I think they're going to be higher or lower owned, which generally pushes the, me in the direction of being more unique anyway. But I think this would be a good opportunity, you know, if you weren't doing research builds or if you just want a kind of a quicker way to just eliminate a really popular construction uh, from your pool, I think it's an interesting idea for sure. So, yeah, I like it. Um, cool. Okay. Um, and then a question from uh, U, U4 in Slack here uh, about tennis. Um, it says, for tennis, do you still run a research build? Uh, 0010 to see who it shows the most like you do in MLB. Uh, yeah, I probably would. Um, I haven't had a chance to like really dive into tennis as much this week as I, as I wanted to. Um, I've played a few slates. I have experimented with some of the research builds here um, just to see where, um, you know, there are some inefficiencies. I, I will say, so let's, let's like run one together and just take a quick look and see like for today, what we're getting. So one thing, so I put a video out on YouTube yesterday called How to Beat Tennis DFS. And one of the things I talked about in that video are Vegas money lines. And one of the, the notes I made is that, you know, most tennis projection models, SaberSim included for the time being, are using Vegas money lines as a primary input and basically treating it as gospel and saying this is the true win probability of a particular player particular match, right? And what that means is actually, I think a lot of industry projections around the industry here uh, are going to be pretty similar. So because of that, I think running a research build for tennis, you're going to see probably smaller leverage opportunities than you might in other sports. In other words, our, our ownership projections are going to kind of assume that our ownership projections and our our optimal rates are all going to be kind of efficient because everybody's kind of treating the Vegas money lines as 
as gospel, right? As fact. And there's still a huge edge to, to be made, to be, to be had building lineups with Saberson for tennis DFS, because basically what we have that, you know, other tools out there don't have is this, right. And understanding that for a player who's, average projection is 43.4. The ranges of outcomes actually look like this and pulling these outcomes in dynamically, right? That's still very valuable, but I think it's harder to find ownership inefficiencies if both the ownership and the Sims assume that the Vegas money line is right. So with that said, I think it's still interesting as a way to understand the slate and get familiar, but I think I I think the better value at the moment is to actually spend some time researching the matches on that particular slate and see if you can find any reason to believe that there's an inefficient or a bad money line out there for Vegas. And I mean, for Wimbledon, you know, the markets are going to be much more liquid. There's going to be a lot more uh, movement. And I think the lines are going to be sharper. But as we move along and start talking about tennis DFS for some smaller events and things like that, that's that's not really going to be as much the case. And I think there are going to be situations where you can actually add value with your own research, right? Like if we're looking at this, you know, it may be true that like if, hang on, let me, let me give an example here. So if Djokovic's win probability is truly 95% and, you know, based on his salary and everything else, then, you know, he is, his optimal rate is 35% in DFS lineups and his ownership is 35% in DFS lineups. And therefore it's, it's efficient ownership. There's not really any way to, to get an edge. It's, it's, it's a prop, it's approximately optimal to roster him in 35% of your lineups. But if this number is actually 0.9 and everybody thinks it's 0.95, that's an opportunity. Then, then all of a sudden, both of these, then, then all of a sudden, both of these numbers are wrong. Right. And the true value is, 28% or 25% or whatever it would end up being. So I think the theory of a research build still works absolutely for tennis, but I think because of kind of the way that the industry works for this particular sport and how heavily those money lines are featured in every projection model out there, I think your best opportunity to add a little bit of value is to research the slate uh, and see if you can find a reason to believe that a particular player is getting under or, 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 or overvalued based on your research. Um, so, and I gave an example in that video too, from yesterday's slate, um, where I thought, uh, and I, I actually didn't even follow up to see what happened in this match, but I thought that that Golovic was undervalued against Krichkova, um, based on their, their history of playing on grass and how the first round had gone and things like that. And, and I'm, I'm still familiarizing myself with tennis DFS overall, but there's a lot of different, you know, ways to, to go out there and research, um, these, these matches and, and find an opportunity to, to make, um, some adjustments. So, but good question. Cool. Uh, jumping over to YouTube chat here. Uh, Jimmy said for the single entry and three max contest, I would usually submit the one to two highest saver some lineups from my, or saver score lineups from my pool. Uh, and then the one to two with the highest leverage, because if that hits, Oh boy. Yeah. I think that's a great approach as well. Um, you know, the, the main thing, like if you can give yourself a reason, if this is a mental thing, this is not, this is not a mathematical thing, but if you can give yourself a reason to say, I played these lineups into my single entry because of this, you will alleviate some stress, uh, when those lineups are not your highest scoring lineups, because then at least you can kind of fall back and say, no, I mean, I, I made that choice or, or my process leads me to putting those lineups into that contest. Um, or you just, you know, let the DFS gods take over and, and embrace the unique random, 
which is what I, which is what I've started doing. Um, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but I, I think it's it's pretty random anyway. So, um, and then Guy Will Gamble said, also I believe postponed players can usually be swapped if the game didn't start. Uh, so I wouldn't worry about it now either. Uh, the exception there would be if that if that game status is not decided by the time the lock of that game comes around. So like tonight, if, you know, if, um, let's pull this back up. If KC and Detroit, right, we'll just keep using that example, right? So it's 5-10 game, my time here, right? So maybe that game starts in a rain delay, right? Well, if that, if if five ten comes goes by and that game is in a rain delay, all of those players will lock. And if it later postpones during the delay or after the delay, there's no opportunity to get them out. So there are situations sometimes where, like, um, you know, I know if if the game hasn't locked yet. So like, let's say, what's the other game with the rain with rain concerns tonight? Um, are there any later games? Um. I don't know. Let's say, let's just say hypothetically, for example, that, um, you know, Baltimore and Minnesota had rain concerns as well, which, which I don't know if it does. I don't, I don't think it does. Um, and this game postpones like right at lock or something like that. Often what DraftKings will do is push the, the unofficial start time of that game in the app back all the way to whatever the last locking game of the night is. Um, but I don't think it's reliable that you can get out. I wouldn't, I wouldn't play every weather game just because you're assuming necessarily that you can get out of any weather situations if they come up, because there's not always, um, a good opportunity. So, um, and then six said, uh, I'm certain I missed it, but any quick tips or a summary of how to use SaberSim for MMA aside from just running and trusting the Sims? Um, actually, you know, six, what I would recommend, I would check out two resources here. So, uh, on Tuesday, Max came onto the stream here and broke down his actual MMA process that he's been using this season. Um, and that is up on our YouTube channel here on the catch up on the latest office hours, live streams. Um, he breaks down, you know, how he goes through. He it basically, you know, in summary, he kind of looks through each individual lineup and compares uh, the total lineup ownership and the total salary to look for situations where there's maybe a few lineups that might be very heavily duplicated. Um, and uh, I also would recommend um, checking out this video here uh, with Will. Crush MMA DFS with the power of Sims. Um, this came out right after we published our simulations here. This is a much longer video. And this goes pretty into detail on what goes into our simulations and also had that how to add some value. So I check out those, those resources. I think if I can summarize uh, MMA overall, I would say some of the highest value work that you can do within SaberSim is finding lineups that are likely to be duplicated and remove them from your pool. Or finding lineups, more specifically, finding lineups that are more likely to be duplicated than their chance of that lineup being the optimal and removing those from your pool. Uh, SaberSim, you know, what SaberSim does a very good job of handling for you is an under is understanding the ranges of outcomes of each fighter and building you lineups that have an, an upside condition that are likely to be optimal. Uh, that the value add is identifying which of those lineups the field is also very likely to spot. So, all right. 
Um, HC said, would you use unique random to fill a single entry or MME for cash games? And is a default of 500, a good number for cash game builds. So for cash games, I'm more focused. I would be more focused on just trying to identify the highest, the, the optimal, um, the highest, the highest average projected lineup possible is what I would be looking to, to do. And I would play the same cash game lineup into all of my cash game contests, right? The main reason why in a GPP, you play a lot of different lineups and you diversify for a couple reasons. Uh, one is because it is it is difficult to quantify expected value. It's difficult to quantify what the actual best lineup is for a GPP. So by spreading out and diversifying, you in some ways give yourself an opportunity to hedge and to to kind of to place more bets, right? Um, but you also you you also are trying to just diversify um, amongst like different outcomes, different different conditions of the slate. In cash games, it's very easy to identify what the best overall lineup is, or like within a 1v1 or a 2v2 of a couple players, what overall the best lineup is. And your diversification, your risk tolerance comes in the form of playing different opponents. So you spread out and play more, uh, you play a wider variety of opponents in your head-to-heads and things like that, which allows you to diversify and Kind of manage your risk a little bit there. So for me, like playing cash games, my goal would basically just be I would build just a single lineup. I probably don't even care how big the pool size is. I would probably be more focused on like I might look at the top five optimals just to see. And pool size, you know, could be I don't know, 20 is probably plenty. 20 is plenty. And then I'm identifying, you know, what lineup I actually want to take with me into my contests. But and, and the other thing I should have mentioned, right, there is, uh, I actually, I, this is an important point. Part of the other reason why I recommend playing a single lineup in cash games, but multiple lineups in GPPs is that there is a greater, there are a lot of lineups that are very close together in their expected value in GPP world, right? There are probably at least hundreds, probably thousands of good GPP lineups that all have very similar expected value to one another. In cash games, that the the quality of a lineup falls off a cliff much quicker. Each projected point that you sacrifice as you move down into different and different cash game lineups has a as a much bigger is a much bigger sacrifice, right? Um so as we here let's sort by projected score. So as we move down the list here, right? In a GPP, this lineup and this lineup and this lineup and this one are all probably going to have relatively similar expected values, which is why we talk about your entire pool of lineups is viable, right? And edit exposures until you're you're satisfied, right? It's because a lot of those lineups are are somewhat interchangeable. In a cash game, right? Um we may find that, you know, line, by lineup 1 has a projected score of 111 and lineup 20 Actually, tonight's not as good of an example of it because since there are a ton of lineups that are very close together. Um, but I would say in general, you you will find that, you know, going from optimal one to optimal 20, there's there's a legitimate sacrifice in projected points uh, that you don't want to necessarily accept just purely to diversify. So um, all of this to say, you know, to answer this question specifically, I would probably use a single cash game lineup instead of building a bunch of different lineups. And I think for pool size, I, I don't think you need anything close to 500. I think 20, 10 is probably fine. 
for identifying that optimal. So. Cool. What other questions do we have here for today's show? Any other questions for me here today? We'll start to uh, start to wrap up. If anybody else has any questions before the weekend here, fire away at me. Uh, I will mention if you are watching or listening to the show for the first time uh, and you haven't already signed up with Saberson, or maybe you used to be signed up with Saberson, you haven't been with us in a while, uh, we have a free seven-day trial on our site, sabersim.com. You can get signed up. You can use us for our tennis sims for the rest of Wimbledon here. You can play uh, baseball DFS using our baseball sims. We have eSports, uh, all of the different sports available to you in that free seven-day trial. Um, I don't see any other questions coming in here at the moment, so I think we will go ahead and leave it there for today. Thanks, everybody, for watching. Good luck tonight. Be careful with those weather games. Make sure you are paying attention uh, and staying up to date with the news. Uh, lots of games with, with some rain potential, some postponement potential here tonight. Have a good 4th of July weekend. Uh, enjoy the rest of your Friday, and I will see all of you on Oh, we do have a couple other questions here. You guys got this right in at the last second here. Uh, Sean says, does Saberson work with Yahoo? Yes, it does. Um, and HC says, <laughs> oh, this is a this is a, a, a goofy one here. How many Coors Lights? Uh, we'll have a couple. We'll have a couple to celebrate Independence Day this weekend. So I saw that question flash up and I thought, I thought that one was a, a DFS question, but instead we're talking beer drinking, which is, which is okay. But anyway, uh, I'm going to leave it there guys. Have a good weekend. I will be right back here on Tuesday of next week, uh, 2 PM Eastern, uh, for the next episode of office hours. So until then take care, good luck and see you later.